You're listening to the Central Station Podcast, where we bring you true stories of what life in the outback is really like and why many wouldn't live anywhere else. So pull up a stump, pop the billy on, or crack a cold one as we talk to the men and women who call some of the most remote parts of Australia home. This podcast is brought to you by Pioneer Water Tanks, the most trusted name in water storage in Australia. For over 30 years, they've remained the industry leader by continually improving the engineering and technology that goes into every tank. Superior technology gives you superior peace of mind for your precious water storage. Welcome back to the Central Station Podcast. My name is Steph Coombs and I am your host. And today we are bringing you a bonus episode. So my goal is to try and put out an episode every other Tuesday. Um, but as you'll know, today is not Tuesday. So this is a special episode, kind of like last week. So previously, episode 19 was coronavirus and cattle stations. And we spoke to the RFDS as well as some other people about the potential impact of coronavirus on the northern beef industry and also how to take precautions um, to reduce the risk of contracting it. Now, in that episode, I did touch on very briefly the mental health side of things. Um, and since then, the environment that we find ourselves in is rapidly changing. So since that episode where I had mentioned about um, some stations going to lockdown and some Indigenous communities going to lockdown, we've had um, more travel restrictions put in place, further establishments and venues that have been closed or people that are not allowed to continue business at this point in time. Um, we have had states close their borders, regions within states close their borders. Um, it's, it's a day to day. We're all kind of living day to day at the moment. Things are changing so rapidly. And I did want to do something else. I'm very conscious that I don't want to bombard people with coronavirus or COVID-19 content because we are getting so much of that everywhere else you turn. But that's why I've chosen to do this episode because it's something a little bit different. So, like I said, we see a lot of stuff on the media right now. Like everything you see is coronavirus, but it's pretty much all the same stuff. Like I haven't learned anything new in weeks. It's just an update of the number of people that have become sick or passed away. Um, and then it's just a lot of rehashing. So I wanted to look, I wanted to talk about this from a different uh, perspective. And today I'm going to be doing this episode with somebody um, that is very close to me, my cousin, Angela Wall. Now, Angela is actually a clinical nurse consultant of mental health who is credentialed with the Australian College of Mental Health Nurses. And she has over 11 years experience as a nurse on the ward and a nurse therapist. So Angela is somebody that I talk to quite often. Um, she provides me amazing insights with whatever's going on in the world or going on in my life. And we were talking about the coronavirus, as you do, because it's everywhere. And I actually learned a lot from her and I, I learned something new and it really um, gave me something to think about. And that's why I wanted to bring this episode to you. So yes, this is a little bit different than our usual episodes. Um, this is technically a cattle station podcast where people tune in to hear stories from ringers and, and people in cattle stations, which come Tuesday, I've got one coming up for you. Don't you worry. But as I mentioned last week, it doesn't matter who you are and where you're from, whether you're on a cattle station right now or in the middle of Sydney or London or wherever else in the world, we are all being 
impacted to some extent by coronavirus, whether or not you lose your job, whether or not you can't travel to see your family, whether or not you actually contract the virus or even know somebody who's been affected in some way, we are all being affected. Um, and so I think it's important. I think it's just really interesting to look at the psychology behind what's going on right now. Um, and yeah, I really enjoyed recording this episode. It's very insightful, I believe, and I hope that you stick around to listen to it. Hi, Ange. Welcome to the podcast. Hi, Steph. Thanks for having me. Okay. So as you're well aware, I'm well aware, all of our listeners are well aware, everything in our lives right now is revolving around COVID-19 and the pandemic. Um, and uh, a lot of things in our lives have changed in an effort to flatten the curve. And that is something we're hearing over and over again is that we need to do measures such as social distancing, self-isolation, um, travel restrictions to flatten the curve to stop the spread of the actual virus. But when we were talking yesterday, you taught me about like this second curve that is very much there, but nobody's talking about it. And I've never even heard about it. And I've been hearing a lot of media stuff. So I want to talk about this second curve today. Can you tell our listeners what it is? Yeah. So the second curve that we were talking about um, that we're referring to now is the curve that comes from the impact of the mental and emotional repercussions of what's going on at the moment with the virus. So just as we're finding that people with the physical virus itself um, who have underlying conditions are more likely or are vulnerable, you know, they're vulnerable, they're, they're more likely to require an ICU bed. Um, that's also true for people with an underlying mental or emotional uh, condition at the moment where as their distress rises in relation to stress, fear or repercussions of the virus, you know, job loss and things like that, that they are more likely to need access to mental health services including emergency mental health services at the moment. And what's some of the stuff that you've been seeing at work lately in terms of how that's been manifesting itself? So not so much at my work. I mean, certainly we have an increase in distress in general at the moment um, because people can't fly home to be with their families um, and there's a lot of uncertainty. But what we have seen in the media, though it's not been widely reported, uh, is that there has unfortunately um, been some death by suicide that appears to be related uh, to people who at the prospect of uh, having to self-isolate and socially distance um, have unfortunately died by suicide. Yeah, it's just something that I don't think anyone's talking about and I don't think we're even thinking about. Um, I know you said another time we were speaking that everybody kind of counts or not everybody but it it feels like we're counting the emotional and physical emotional and mental impacts of this virus as secondary but it's not it's all kind of one and the same it is it uh, yeah it absolutely is I mean it's co-occurring they're co-occurring issues Um, and of course we don't want to take away from the spread of COVID itself but I just think that it's prudent at this time to also um, give due attention to the fact that this does have a huge mental and emotional impact on individuals just as the virus itself would. 
Now, can we just clarify what distress means and what it looks like as well? Because I think when we hear people are in distress and we've just been speaking about people with a clinical mental condition or mental illness, um, Mm. we think distress, we think perhaps the more extreme end, which is just um, crying, I don't know, rocking back and forth, you know, just erratic behaviour perhaps. Like just, just I think when people hear the word distress, they visualise something quite extreme. I know I do. But I think it's fair to say that everybody, no matter where you sit in this spectrum at the moment, is experiencing some level of distress, whether or not you've actually caught the virus or know somebody who's caught the virus or lost a job or maybe you don't know anybody and you haven't lost your job, but I think people are still experiencing some level of distress? Yeah. So, I mean, a stress response is is the normal response. And what distress is, is when stress becomes severe or prolonged. So that is when we start to see changes in behaviour, changes in thinking styles um, as a result of the stress, if that makes sense. Yeah. And can you talk me through the analogy of being like on a scale of one to 10 for stress and distress? Yeah. So, I mean, most people, maybe their stress prior to to COVID was sitting at a two or a three, um, meaning that, you know, we all have everyday stresses that are perfectly normal and healthy. You know, I get out of bed in the morning and I go to work because I have bills to pay. So, you know, that's kind of an everyday stress that a lot of people I think can relate to is having, you know, bills to pay, things hanging over our head, everyday type things such as that. So people in that category may identify as sitting every day at about a a two or a three on the stress scale. If if we're using a scale of one to ten, people who identify um, or have a diagnosed mental illness may be sitting up to seven or an eight or even a nine um, on a daily basis. So as you can imagine, they don't have far to go until they reach that 10 point. Yeah, and what the reason I wanted to do this episode today is I'm not suggesting that our listeners are certainly at that higher end of the scale and that we're saying that everybody's at risk of the more extreme outcomes such as suicide, but just that no matter who you are, you we are all being impacted on some level. So even if, you know, say for me, I don't know anybody who's had coronavirus, I have a stable job for at least the next two months, um, really nothing much to complain about on my end, but there is so much uncertainty and I can see the impacts on my broader community that I am feeling, you know, down the lower end, but some level of stress and just just that ongoing uncertainty. So it is impacting everyone, even if you're not directly impacted, I suppose. Yeah, I mean, I think it's really hard to tune out from it because, as you say, it's uncertain and it's unknown. And even though I may not be affected right now, I think in the back of a lot of people's minds is that I could be affected eventually or the people I love can be affected eventually in some way. And when is that coming, you know, and if and when when and if um, might that arrive into my own life? And I think that that in itself is an added stressor. Now, we've just opened this episode with um, the example of people with a pre-existing mental illness uh, condition and the impact it is having on them in this second curve. But it's not just people um, that have a pre-existing mental illness condition or mood disorder that can can join in on this curve. I think anybody um, right now has the potential with, with what's going on to kind of 
get on that curve, if that makes sense. Um, can you just explain to us the difference, though, between mental health and mental illness so every, so that we, because I think they're used interchangeably a lot, but they are different concepts and different, they do represent different things. Yeah, so mental illness um, refers to, I guess, people who identify as having a diagnosed mental illness or people who identify as currently suffering from mental or emotional distress. That would be the reference when we use the term mental illness. Mental health, however, is just something that every single person has that needs to be maintained. Just as we have the health of our physical body, we have the health of our mental and emotional selves. So really what we're referring to now is that, you know, that aspect, just as we need to wash our hands as to care for the physical body, there are some things that we need to do to keep mentally and emotionally well at the moment that we need to do quite deliberately, just as you would go to the gym, you know, for your fitness. There are things that at the moment with this extra pressure on us, that we can do in terms of our mental fitness, if I okay. can use that term. So if, we're, if we go back to the scale analogy, wherever people feel that they're sitting on the scale, it's just trying to keep them there or even take them back a few notches um, to decrease any distress or stress in their life and not climb up the scale. So if you're currently sitting at a two or a three, we don't want to see you head to a four or five. I'm not saying you're going to jump from a two to a ten, but, you know, this whole and however long this goes on, you could end up at a, four or five and, and so on. So we're just talking about maintaining you where you are now. And if you are up the higher end, hopefully learning some tools to kind of cope with some, some new coping tools to bring that back down if possible. Yeah, so definitely. And I guess it's also about kind of bringing to people's attention, have I crept up a little bit higher lately? Um, and is there something that I can do to circumvent that? rise on the scale that we're referring to. Okay, so I'd like to look at what's going on in our society at the moment through a psychological lens. So can you talk me through the behaviours we're seeing in people and kind of what's triggering that and what it all means? Yeah, so I think what we're kind of seeing at the moment is almost a, a collective trauma response where something really scary has happened and we're reacting actually appropriately. We're, we're reacting quite normally to an abnormal situation and I think that that's something that a lot of people might not realise. And, and I think that when you don't realise that, things look a lot more frightening than they actually are. So um, things that we're seeing such as the, you know, the panic buying and the general, I guess, aggression and in some cases violence toward other people, the judgment and the criticism of almost absolutely everything, um, really where that comes from is a survival instinct that we all have within us and thank God that we have it. Um, that, you know, is is being triggered at the moment. So what's happening is we're kind of reacting and from our sympathetic nervous system at the moment. So what happens when we become distressed is our sympathetic nervous system switches on, which is our fight or flight uh, nervous system, which a lot of people might have heard of. And from that place, we're not that best place to make the most rational decisions, um, to have the most, I guess, um, 
regulation over our emotions. We kind of just do things. We react quite quickly. We go with that first idea that's going to make us feel a lot better, such as panic buying. You know what I mean? At least then I know that my family is going to be safe, even if the long-term consequences are X, Y, and Z for other people. I'm not thinking about that. I'm just thinking about the short term. I'm thinking about right now, and I'm thinking about me. And that's really, really normal when we're feeling frightened for that kind of phenomena to occur. So what if that's the sympathetic nervous system, what is the other, because there's a parasympathetic as well? I mean, it's yeah. been a long time since I did bio class, but that's kind of ringing a bell in my head. Yeah, so the parasympathetic nervous system is our rest and digest nervous system, and that's where we can kind of uh, have a bit more complexity to our thinking and be a bit more rational. Uh, and that's where, you know, when we feel calm, and peaceful that's what we're in is our parasympathetic nervous system okay so we kind of need to find a way to recognize when we're when we've triggered our sympathetic nervous system and that sounds really hard though like how do I know right now am I currently sitting here in my sympathetic or my parasympathetic but I guess just the concept of trying to recognize what state you're in and then manage that is that yeah and I think putting it into perspective that you know I think the point is that people aren't bad and evil and awful. They're frightened. They're, they're frightened and they're angry and they're grieving at the moment and that's actually what we're seeing and the world hasn't gone mad. You know, I'm hearing that a lot, this, the world's gone mad and I just think that that is the perfect metaphor for how we respond to mental uh, illness um, or mental and emotional distress in general is that we see behaviour that is a little bit that is different or that is destructive um, and we label it and we say, you know, that's bad and you're crazy and instead of kind of stopping to think about, well, where does that come from and why is that happening? Because if I know where it comes from and why it's happening, then I'm better placed to do something about it that's actually effective and actually helpful because I think a lot of what we're seeing at the moment is fear being fed to frightened people and it's just not helpful. Direct Drilling is a locally owned family drilling company based in Kununurra, servicing the Kimberley and Northern Territory. All drillers are nationally licensed with the Australian Drilling Industry Association, ensuring best practice, the protection of water resources and guaranteeing the life of the bore. Find out more at directdrill.com.au. So, and I know it's a lot more complex than just the parasympathetic and sympathetic nervous systems it goes beyond the physiology um one of the areas i've been really interested in is um reading up on cognitive behavior therapy and a part of that they talk about cognitive distortions or i know you like to talk about them as learning styles so i mean there's all these different factors that are influencing the way people are receiving information processing the information and then how that influences their behavior and, and the consequences can you talk me through i feel like from what i've read about um cognitive distortions there's definitely a few that I'm recognizing in some of the conversations and the dialogues um what ones do you think are applying at this point in time um so yes that's right so I do refer to them as thinking styles rather than cognitive distortions um and I think the main one that we're seeing is certainly well that I'm seeing 
from from where I sit is catastrophizing. So all the time I'm seeing and hearing, you know, this is going to last for a year and we're going to be trapped inside for a year and we're going to go bankrupt and, you know, then the government's going to take the money away from people that do have money and, you know, all of this kind of off-brand information that I, I don't know, it's just people's prediction and it's people committing to the worst case scenario and there's a few reasons why we would do that um one of them is because if i'm already in my mind living in the worst case scenario and i'm um calling it out and bringing it in to my consciousness then when it arrives i won't be as shocked or i won't be as affected it's it's got a little bit of a protective mechanism and, and various other things around that which i won't go into because it will just take too long but um that's that's catastrophizing and i would encourage people to stop um when they find themselves in that loop and just think well what evidence do i have that suggests that this is going to last for the rest of the year you know uh we can look at italy and we can look at, at china fortunately and unfortunately um and we do have some evidence to suggest that this isn't going to be for the rest of the year so we can quite easily shut that down um when we when we realize you know that we're in it so i think for me when i think of catastrophizing i just refer to it as going down the rabbit hole so kind of like alice in wonderland and you just go down the rabbit hole and then it just keeps spinning and spinning and um that's just the visual that pops into my head if i don't know if that will resonate with anybody else but it's kind of like, yeah, you you think of the worst case scenario and you commit to it and then that's what you live by. And so you just have to to interrupt that cycle and say, hang on, what logic no, let's take a reasonable, let's take a step back and take a look at this and like what is the chances or what are the chances of this happening? Um, and there's another one as well, I think I've seen in, in a lot with people, which is black and white thinking, which is sort of an all or nothing. Also, I think before I just want to say as I was introducing this topic, I think I said, um, cognitive distortions or um, learning learning styles, not thinking styles, which is what it was. But then as yeah. afterwards as you started talking, I was like, oh, I think I said learning, which is definitely not correct. Um, but black and white thinking, which is that everything's very binary. So it's one or the other. There's no middle ground. How are you seeing that uh, manifest at the moment? I think I'm seeing it mostly in the judgment of others at the moment. So on that person-to-person level, kind of judging the decisions that people are making and I guess categorising people as either good or bad based on what they're doing at the moment and how they're behaving. And the reality is it's a lot more complicated than that. Hardly anybody is all good or all bad certainly nobody is all good that is just a fact of life there is a dark and murky side to our humanity that we don't really like to talk about but it's there for a very good reason um you know it's it it is what helps us survive and so that's more of what we're going to see at the moment does that mean people are bad absolutely not you know you and I were talking about the analogy um, the rescuer as victim syndrome in drowning and that's when you know as much as we don't like to admit it there is a reflex that occurs in in people when they're drowning and a rescuer comes out to save them and they end up in their panic drowning that rescuer 
Um, and I think, does that mean that that's an evil person? Does that mean that that's a bad person? And, and you know, we categorise them and their entire life as bad. Uh, certainly not. But I'm definitely seeing a lot of that at the moment and it's creating a lot of division with people when you know, what we really need right now is to come together, is to look at all of the facets of this, what might be behind people's behaviour, the fact that everybody's situation is very complicated. Um, and I just think that within ourselves it makes it a lot easier to um, be in a place where we realise that people are actually mostly good, um, but when they're frightened they can do some frightening things. I suppose it's... Um often when I hear people talk about the flight or fight response, they, you know, it's back from caveman days with the saber-toothed tiger and that's why we had it there and that's why we've got the sympathetic nervous system so that if you were confronted with danger, you just had that instant uh, reflex to just, you know, take flight or fight. And we don't have those same dangers today. It's very different, but we still our but everything that has changed in the history of time, our biology really hasn't really kept up with the speed. So we've kind of still got, I guess, this caveman brain is what I hear from a lot of people, um, but but not the caveman problem. So just because it's natural, perhaps um, to panic or to hoard, um, to, to display some of these behaviours doesn't make it right. Like it might be instinctive, but it doesn't actually make it right because those behaviours are coming from you know, pretty well prehistoric times or whenever the caveman times were. But we live in a very different environment today where we have the benefit of being able to stop and, you know, there is no saber-toothed tiger chasing us right now and we we have the benefit, I think, to slow down and really think about what we're doing. So if we can recognise that and say, all right, this this is what my instincts are telling me to do but I don't think it's the right thing, what can people do so that we have a more cohesive society right now? Because it feels like we're quite fractured with the a lot of finger pointing and blaming um, when we really need to come together. Yeah, and so you're right. Just because it's understandable doesn't mean that it is acceptable um, overall. You know, it needs to stop. There, there needs to be an end point to it, absolutely. So how do we do that? That's right. So the blame and the finger pointing um, is really just not helpful for many, many reasons. And I'm not saying that people don't need to be held accountable. That That's not what I'm trying to say. But when we try to frighten, frighten people, we're just creating more of that cycle that we're trying to avoid. So I think what we really need instead of this kind of um, stay the F home hashtag that I've been seeing going around is a much better alternative to be sharing on a day-to-day level is the flatten the curve because what that does is it calls people to action and it's kind of like come and join my team and we can do this together rather than harping on about what's already been done and what's already gone wrong um you know kind of focusing on what we can do together to get through this such as taking every, you know, uh, measure we can to try and flatten that curve rather than pointing at the individual, you know, and saying, you're killing my grandma if you don't stay home and what's wrong with you and if I'm not staying home or if I'm doing some behaviour that isn't, you know, kind of uh, conducive to the wellness of the collective at the moment, it's because I'm not coping and somebody who's not coping needs to be brought in, you know, rather than kind of 
pushed further away because yeah yeah, in terms of um, creating intrinsic motivation for change people are much more likely to do that from a place of understanding forgiveness and acceptance as antithetical as that might sound you know if I want somebody to think rationally about this I need them in that parasympathetic phase and judgment and abuse and blame and division and aggression is just not going to get us there um tough love this is one of my favorite facts from dr Kristen neff um really is only clinically proven to be effective in prisons and on criminal minds or antisocial behavior um and we love to paint it everywhere in society you know and we think that it's great you know um and it's admirable and it's the tough thing to do and it's the right thing to do but when you look at the research and the science the neuroscience it's actually just not true so that that is a lot of what we're seeing at the moment um hashtag stay the f home or stay the bleep home um a lot of what we're hearing on tv is directives to stay home or do this do that um but particularly um that stay the f home which a lot of yeah, celebrities and influencers have gotten on board with and you likened it to when we were preparing for this episode to the quit smoking campaign can you talk our listeners through that yeah so i mean think about it the the campaign the the quit smoking campaign is not stop effing smoking you know what i mean um it's actually quitting is hard but you don't have to do it alone it's something like that. That is the slogan. Um, and there's a very good reason for that because that's what is going to actually get people engaged because we validate that this is a really hard cycle to break and there is reasons that you've been stuck in it for so long even when you don't want to be even when you don't feel like your best self you know as much as you might want to get out is as much as you can't so um I just think that you know that's just a really good example you know of of behaviour that actually smoking does put a massive burden on our healthcare system, whether people want to hear that or not, smoking-related illness, including taking up ICU beds, including requiring ventilators. And we don't, you know, point the finger at people who smoke and overtly and openly judge and criticise and condemn and label them. Um, and that is because... It's we have not compassion. The way. We have compassion, and it's 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 just not going to help. I mean, a stressed out. If I'm smoking because I'm stressed, and then I'm being told, you know, I'm a, being treated like a pariah, my stress is going to go through the roof, and that's not the time that I'm going to quit smoking. Basically, so really, we we need to come at this from a more compassionate standpoint. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, absolutely. The one, and I think that. Um, I'm thinking now of the, in terms of the compassionate, I'm thinking of the Facebook post that you posted the other day where you and I had a bit of a robust discussion and I felt like I could have that with you because we have a relationship that is obviously um, quite solid, I think, and I knew that you know me and you knew where I was coming from and I felt like you had the capacity (laughs) to absorb my reaction to that at the time. So that Facebook post for um, the listeners who wouldn't be aware of it because I'm not Facebook friends with 99.9% of you all. Um, and I but you of, should be. No, I like to keep <laughs> my Facebook quite small. Um, oh, okay, sorry. I'll take it back. Yeah, you can be friends with I, me. I think I'm under the 300 mark. I'm pretty basic. Ooh. 
But um, I'd, I'd seen a lot of stuff on social media from people who I thought were in positions of privilege, um, whether that meant that they were employed, they were healthy, um, and, and just, I suppose, living in this day and age um, is a privilege compared to other times in history. And a lot of people complaining about, oh, social distancing, or they've closed this down, they've closed that down, I have to stay at home. And I just kind of wrote like, you know what, right now, if we have to stay at home, we've got Netflix, we've got running water, we've got um, internet, we've got um, clean air, we've we've got television electricity you know we've got so many comforts until people are dropping bombs on us um you know we're on rationed food where we've got militant leaders um you know or we've been ripped away from our homes or got bullets flying at us like there's just nothing to complain about and that came from the place where our grandmother spent the first almost 15 years of her life in refugee camps and our great-grandmother had a horrendous time as well we lost members of our family during world war ii um and the things that the stories that our family, extended family, have told us from those times. Like, I just think right now, like, you know, my nana had to sit in a train, like, where everybody went to the bathroom in the middle of it and it got cleaned out once a day, like a a train carriage. My worst case scenario right now is I sit at home and I binge Netflix all day in the aircon. Like, it doesn't compare. And I just was a little bit frustrated and wrote a post to that effect saying, like, stop complaining, guys. But then you kind of popped up and you were like, well, hang on, like just because we're not in a war right now doesn't mean people aren't allowed to be afraid. And that was, I still stand by what I said, but I have learned a lot from the conversation we had. So do you want to just explain where you were coming from with your comments? Yeah, so I think that people tend to get this ideology that or, you know, um, they tend to, I guess, buy into the notion is what I mean to say that it, having compassion for people who are frightened um, about catching a virus takes compassion away from World War II. Do you know what I mean? And and it's actually just not the case. So the, the thing we don't have to ration at the moment is compassion. It's not a finite resource. And compassion breeds compassion. So if I'm distressed about something that seems relatively trivial to you, uh, first of all, everything is relative. To everybody. So the worst thing that I've ever seen is the worst thing that I've ever seen. And my brain is going to react the same way, no matter what it is, more or less, you know, because the worst is the worst for me, from from my perspective. So um, when we have compassion for people in their seemingly trivial complaints, what that does is it creates, you know, people feel seen and heard and felt for what they're going through. And people that feel held in that way are more likely to have capacity to hold space for other people who might be stressed or distressed in the same way. So it kind of creates a positive um, feedback loop instead of a a negative feedback loop. So That's right. You fill up your, yeah, so I suppose I just, and even, you know, even if we don't go back to World War II, like right now there's people living in refugee camps around the world or um, in awful conditions that have nothing to do with COVID-19. And I just, I've learned that you can still, you know, that still have compassion for those major issues, but still give compassion to people for for what they're going through with with COVID. Um, And that, yeah, if you fill up your cup, with compassion and help fill up other people's cup, then it just we just keep filling up everyone's cup and hopefully create a flow-on effect of compassion. Yeah. I love that. I love that. I really want to create like a bumper sticker, like hashtag don't ration compassion. 
Yeah. Yeah. Well, we can, you know, we, we don't have to ration compassion. Um, it's because you cannot give what you do not have, you know. So we need to model um, what we want to see. We need to put out what what we want to receive back. That's That's just how it works. And thankfully, that's how it works, you know. Now, in addition to coming from a place of compassion, I think that certainly leads into my next little area of being accountable for what role we play in this and that also very much includes what we contribute on social media. So the way I think of it is that we have a circle of influence. There's so much going on right now that we cannot influence. I can't influence what restrictions are being put in place or how this virus is spreading or or what other people are doing, but I can influence my own behaviour and that also includes, which is, you know, physically where I go and what I do, but then also how I behave online. And I in the last episode we did, I made a bit of a offhand joke that, you know, for every coronavirus post you make, you should put up a cat video, just like balance it out. We don't want to overwhelm people with stuff. And I think it is great that people are trying to produce satirical and humorous content in this situation to try and lighten the mood and take away some of the seriousness and bring laughter about. But I also think it's just really important to be, I suppose at the moment right now, it's almost like everything, even if it is funny, everything is still COVID-19 in my newsfeed, even if it's memes about it, but but everything is. And I think we need to be aware of that and try and bring some of that balance back in. Um, like you told me last night, you, you want to see what people have for lunch, which <laughs> each to their own. Um, but t- take us through the 9-11 example. And I know that's going to sound like a really extreme jump to go from COVID but to, and to 9-11, um, but there is a link there, so, something really interesting that you found out in a research study. Yeah, so um, it's obviously we're talking about this is why it's so important to be mindful of what you're sharing and what you're tuning into personally at the moment. Um, So there was a study done on people around 9-11 and they studied the PTSD symptoms of people who were actually there at ground zero and actually directly affected versus the PTSD symptoms of people who had seen more than three hours or three hours or more of news footage of 9-11. And what they found is that some of the people who had seen three or more hours of news footage had more PTSD symptoms than people who were actually there. So I may never, in in this whole COVID thing, I may never lose my job, I may never contract the virus, I may never know anybody who's got the virus, but if I consume enough of the the more extreme and intense um, media that's out there, I could, I may as well have caught, have lived through it firsthand. I mean, that's the risk is what we're getting as As far as your brain is concerned, yeah, yeah. So that's why, you know, you wouldn't let somebody sit next to your ear all day and say COVID's coming and people have died horribly and painfully and they didn't even have any symptoms and, you know, the world's gone crazy and you're not safe and people are going to loot any minute. And I won't go any further because I don't want to feed into that narrative, but you would not allow that, would you? You know, but when you're sitting there scrolling through your Facebook at the moment, that is actually what you are allowing to happen to you. So I would also suggest that, you know, personally you are mindful of the content that you're sharing. I think that 
most people would do well to make the decision that I am going to receive my information on COVID via the health department, my workplace, if that's relevant to you, and the World Health Organization or who at the moment and limit it to that for those reasons. So that's kind of taking personal responsibility for what you're being exposed to and also on that note unfollow people who are a little bit um taken by all of this because I know that probably we've all got some people on our Facebook friends list right now who are kind of the crusaders of the off-brand information and I know that their hearts are in the right place and I know that that comes from a place of their own fear and that's a way for them to connect around this Uh, but unfollow them unfollow them and you can unfollow without unfriending that's right Ag Workforce specialises in recruiting for agricultural jobs, including farm work, station work and agribusiness across Australia. View current jobs, advertise a position or register as a job seeker at agworkforce.com.au. I suppose I'd, not that I expect the media to listen to this, but like you're saying, it's that difference between staying informed and then just receiving so much information that you become overwhelmed and it disrupts your life and um, your ability to function. And, you know, and the media, I've heard some journalists say, you know, we're trying to find the, because it is a very quickly evolving situation. Like there can be quite a few um, changes within a day, um, especially with these recent um, travel restrictions that have occurred. But there's a difference between keeping people up to date and then just taking the opportunity to just have rolling coverage and just have it in everyone's face and make them think that they, if they don't tune into one news flash, that they're going to miss something. Um, And so I know this is going to sound like a very petty example, but I just, it's just so unnecessary. So like, I think people say, oh, well, don't, you know, be alert, but not alarmed. Um, But again, and I'm just prefacing this, that it's going to sound petty, but every Wednesday night, after Married at First Sight, I like to watch a TV show called Doctor Doctor. It's just an Aussie drama. But for the last two weeks, they have at the last minute, like it's in the TV guide, and then they get rid of it for a special nine news urgent um, COVID bulletin that goes for an hour. So first of all, why do we need a, an hour bulletin at 9.30 at night? And B, like why are you interrupting my regular programming if you want me to maintain some sense of normalcy and routine in my life and not think that this is, you know, the biggest, baddest thing that's going to destroy all of us, don't interrupt. Like there are times, you have your times during the day where you can do news updates. You have, there's so many, so many times to do that. And what's frustrating is I watched the first news bulletin. There was nothing new. All they're doing is rehashing the same information. So I would really... I understand the media feels compelled to keep people informed and up to date and maybe somebody would have missed the morning news so they need to show it again at night, but there's got to be a line and they have to be accountable at some stage. I don't know. That's yeah. just my my two cents and my soapbox on that. I just think everyone just, yeah. Yeah, I'm here for TV. it. I'm, I'm here for it. I support like, you in that. That's right, because that TV is you going into that, paras- you know, potentially you having some of that parasympathetic relief um, of an evening rather than yeah. the last thing that I tune into before I go to sleep at night is the, you know, I'm not going to watch a horror movie and expect to sleep very well that night. Yeah, you know? I just think we really need to balance that. I have even turned off the radio in my car. I have. I could probably write the lyrics out by heart now. I have a greatest hits of Shania Twain, which has been playing over and over again. 
um, because I listen to Triple J and usually they're pretty cool with this kind of stuff. But even they, while it's not the this many people have died and these are restrictions, you know, they limit that to their, to their news breaks. But even their just regular chat among presenters and having listeners call in, it's all based around COVID. Yes, I understand the need to have some discussion around that so we feel connected and we can learn from what other people are doing and how they're coping. But why does every single segment have to be about COVID? Like, let's just get, you know, we need to have that normalcy in our life again. And like you said, we want to see people on Facebook posting their lunches or, you yeah. know, they're, they're things that we used to laugh about. But now, you know, what did you those, have for lunch? Like, I want to see. Yeah, I mean, those were the good old days now. You know, I want to see the everyday stuff because I think it's important because that sends a message to to the brain, you know, that life goes on, Mm -hmm. people are still enjoying food, they're still listening to their favourite music, um, they're still baking in my case, that's what what I love to do. so it's you know it's the alternate and it's the normal the normal stuff that we we need to it's the hope in this actually yeah. I would say it's the hope that you know life is still going on and it will continue to go on yeah I think it's, it's definitely not recommending anybody to be um, willfully ignorant and just ignore what's going on but to just to be aware and take ownership of how much you are consuming and what you are consuming and what you are putting out to other people. Cause there's a different, we're not saying turn off all your TVs, tune out of everything. Mm-hmm. We're just saying, just be very aware of what, what is, and the impacts it can have on you. Because like, that's something that nine 11 study that just blows my mind. Yeah, like it really does. Yeah. Look, I think that's the point, isn't it? Where it's not about being black and white here. It's about being smart and it's about streamlining what you allow into your space every day and that yes get the information but get it from the source you know get it from the um people that have some uh what's the word um authority and credibility yeah authority and credibility yes thank you yeah so seek those sources out by all means but everything else honestly is just hysteria and it's yeah. just not helpful for you. It's not helpful for anybody. So we've just covered, um, you know, understanding the behaviour and the psychology behind what we're seeing in society at the moment on an individual and a collective level. Um, and then the need to have this acceptance um, and compassion for other people and and take some ownership of our own um, influence in this as well. And, yes, yeah, particularly I just want to, go back to that compassion and the need for compassion right now, however trivial it seems, what are some of the things people can do to cope with this? Because I I suppose with this episode, right now we're putting this in the context of COVID-19, but I think we could have done this episode three months ago on the bushfires um, or this time last year on the floods. So there's always something going on, um, whether, and, and everybody's affected differently. Like for some people, they'll, you know, it'll be a two for them. For other people, it might be an eight. But, you know, whether it's drought, floods, fires, um, the death of a loved one or the loss of somebody, the loss of a job, the loss of an opportunity, um, the loss of your health. Like there's just so many things in life. And so somebody may not actually be super um, impacted right now and they may be thinking, oh, you know what, I'm actually not not that fussed by COVID and, and all power to them. But three years from now, you may something may happen, and I think these skills are so transferable and this way of thinking and analysing the situation. So, for this general, I guess it's a very big umbrella view. What 
what are some things that people can do to decrease their distress and increase their resilience? So I guess it's about actively each day working at consciously uh, lowering our baseline for stress. And there are things that we can do that have a lot of evidence behind them um, in order to do that. And some of it sounds really simple, but it is really so very important. So things like prioritising sleep. And as we've talked about, you know, just filtering what news you allow um, to come in, you know, for you. Uh, Some other things that we talked about. I suppose eating, actually this came from a discussion I had with a pastoralist um, a couple months ago. We were talking about just this was all before the COVID stuff um, and this person was saying I have to really watch what I eat because when you're stressed and you're kind of running on empty, you tend to just shove any crap in your mouth. Um, and then that obviously doesn't make you feel better and it kind of starts its own cycle. But they said, I have to make a real conscious effort to slow down and make sure I am putting in, you know, if I want my body and my mind to be at its best, perform at its best, I need to put the right stuff into it. And to be honest, yesterday I had a chocolate chip hot cross bun for breakfast. Um, I didn't have lunch. I had some chips in the afternoon and then I forgot to have dinner um, and I was just going to go to bed, but at nine o'clock at night, I was like, no, I've got some butter chicken in the fridge. I'm going to make sure I put something in my belly because all I'd really eaten was like the hot cross buns, some chips. Okay. I probably had some lollies as well. Let's be honest. And some cordial. And I was like, Steph, this is not okay. Like you need to, especially because I've been feeling a little bit anxious lately. How do I expect my body to respond and to be at its best to, for anything, if I'm putting that in there and no vegetables and no fruit and, and and good healthy nutrients yeah no that's right especially because the mind interprets the feeling of the body do you know what i mean it directly affects the mind so it's really important to take care of your body and yeah you're right sleeping eating prioritizing those things um exercise you know we can all exercise in some way at the moment that doesn't go out the door um i suppose for some people they feel the need to coming back to that circle of influence, you know, there's so much we can't control. And some people have more of that control freak tendency than others <laughs> may or may not be referring to myself. So I suppose if you can find little things that you can influence and feel like you have some control over. So right now I can't control, you know, it actually, it was interesting before we got any cases in Broome, I was pretty blasé about the whole thing. Like I was still, you know, practicing social distancing and, and extra hygiene and whatnot. But when I heard that we had a case in Broome, like I just had this little feeling in my chest and I was like, oh God, it's here. Mm-hmm. Um, so I tried to make some plans about like, okay, well, I know I've got some food if I need to stay home. I've got some dog food. I've got some projects I can work on. I think by making little plans, I just felt even though realistically I probably didn't have any more control, I felt like I had more control and that that helped as well. Yeah, definitely. So I guess that's quite soothing to be able to uh, have agency within your own life um, and affect, you know, where you can, what is going to happen. There's also, you know, things like making sure you do things that make you feel, so speaking of feeling like you're in control or feeling like you're good at something is not just, you know, work. It's also the things that you're good at outside of work and making sure that you invest time into that at the moment. And that's usually, you know, hobbies um, or creative outlets. And some people might say, well, my hobby is, you know, team sport and I can't do team sport at the moment. And fair enough. Um, 
but perhaps now is the time to branch out, you know, learn a language. We've all got a lot of time on our hands at the moment and we can choose to see the opportunities in this. So what are some tips for people that are now find themselves at home and missing that routine of going to work or leaving the house? Um, to kind of, I feel like that lack of structure can, can be quite tricky for people and kind of be the first step down the rabbit hole sometimes. What's, what's a yeah. way we can kind of arm ourselves? I guess, you know, by keeping it as regular as possible would be the answer. I mean, still make a lunchbox for the kids in the morning, you know. There's your lunch for the day. Enjoy. Still pack your own lunch as you would. I think don't expect too much of yourself as well. I think that that's a huge thing. You know, people tend to think, oh, I'm home now so I can get all the washing done and sprinkling the house while I'm still working. And I would not really um, dive into that too much personally because I think that that is a slippery slope because then we start to feel like we should be doing more than we should be and that we're failing. We're failing at the things that we, you know, never would have done if we were still at work. So I think, you know, have as much expectation as you would um, outside of these circumstances. And it's not, you know, you're not home to spring clean the house at the moment. Um, you're there. If you're there working, you're there working and that is it and that that is enough, you know, and just accepting that that is actually enough. So if you could say one thing to wrap up this whole episode um, for people to take away with them, what would it be in terms of working together to flatten this second curve and how we all handle the the impacts that nobody's talking about, the emotional and mental impacts of COVID-19? I think, you know, on a personal, individual level, I think it's really helpful right now to think about who you want to be able to say that you were when this is all over. So what do you want to stand for in the face of this? It's a really good question that we can ask ourselves right now. You know, when you're 90 um, and you're speaking to your grandkids about, you know, the COVID crisis of 2020, what do you want to be able to tell them about how you responded to all of this and who you were? You know, I'm sure that most of us want to be able to say I was brave and I helped other people and I learned new things that I wouldn't have otherwise, um, that I reached out when I needed it and I and I in turn helped where I could. So they're your answers on what to do. You know, when you ask yourself that question, looking when I'm looking back on this, how do I want to say I behaved and who do I want to say that I was? It's quite simple really. Yeah, and you have one, um, I suppose, extra that um, for, as I said before, I want this episode to be something that everybody can listen to whether or not they're connected to Central Station and they're interested in the northern beef industry. But we do have a lot of country listeners. Um, and so you did have an idea for people who are based um, out on cattle stations of something they could do. You yeah. Share that with them? Yeah, so it, it seems to me like, like these people um, kind of, it could be leaders here because uh, potentially you've been homeschooling, you know, you've been living in isolation and rationing and making do with what you have in the pantry and dealing with a limited social circle for extended periods of time. Um, so I feel like there's a lot of wisdom, a lot of secrets that could be shared here and, and I want to hear them. I want to know about it. So please share if you can and if you have 
um, the time to do so because I think that that could be so, so valuable um, and such a huge contribution to everybody else who is very, very new to this down in the city right now. Even things such as are we really going to run out of meat? Like, do you have no. the answer to that? Yes, I, I do. Sorry, I can I can squash that one right now. Australia produces three times as much food. Um, so we produce enough food for 75 million people. We've got a population of around 25, 26 million people. We will never, yeah, we have got your back in that sense. Yes. So, and, and I want to hear fine. that. You yeah. Know, I want to hear that from the source. That's the kind of thing that I feel like we should be sharing is those soothing message of, I work on a cattle station and this is the situation I'm telling you right now, you know, people might not believe what they're hearing from the news, even from some pretty reputable sources. But, you know, if you are there at the cold face standing next to a cow, you know, I, I will believe you and I want to see that, please. Well, yeah, please. I think that's a really great place to wrap up this episode and I hope people have enjoyed listening to it. And so I will put these links in the show notes, but um, if you have been triggered or have any concerns after listening to this episode, we'll put um, links in for Lifeline, Beyond Blue, Black Dog Institute, a whole range of services, Kids Helpline, um, that if you if you do need to talk to somebody, definitely reach out. Um, whether you feel you're a two on the scale or an eight, it, everybody is, I just think, how do, you, how do you say it? Just everybody is has the right and the opportunity to speak up about what is concerning them, no matter how trivial it seems to them. Beyond Blue, which you did mention, does have a really amazing forum that is completely about um, the mental and emotional impacts of COVID and it's heavily moderated by clinicians and trained peer support people. Um, so I really recommend and you can access that completely free and completely anonymously. So I would really highly recommend that to anybody who wants to, you know, chat about all of this stuff specifically. And there you have it. That is our different perspective on the COVID-19 pandemic. I hope you enjoyed listening to that and learned something from it. We will be back in your podcast newsfeed on Tuesday with a regular episode. And I have got a few more in the pipeline. But if you have any recommendations of who you would like to hear on this podcast, please send us a message on Facebook, Instagram, or through the contact form on our website. Normally, I like to do these interviews face-to-face, but as you would have heard in the last couple, um, they've all been over the phone or over the internet, um, particularly in these times of physical distancing and self-isolation. So I am very, very fortunate that even while self-isolating at home, I can continue to produce this podcast. Um, But yeah, I just need some more ideas of who you guys would like to hear from um, and who I should hunt down and also what what you want to know from them. And if you need anything to keep you entertained between now and the next episode, you can find over 1,200 stories published on our website, centralstation.net.au, written by the men and women who live in the Australian outback, who live in isolation all year round and can have, and have plenty of yarns about how they do it. Um, I think we're going to make a bit of an effort in the next couple of weeks to really get those stories out there to our non-station friends um, because there's a lot of people right now that are kind of facing um, isolation and homeschooling and all sorts of things for the first time which is something that 
our cattle station community is used to. So as Angela said, it's a great opportunity to reach out to other people and share your experiences. So please feel free to keep sharing some stories off our website. All right, we'll see you at the next episode.